So how you doing? How you doing? Well, I, you know what? I'm blessed. I'm a hot mess, but I'm blessed. I'll tell you that much. Uh, if, and normally I stand up, I shout, I do cartwheels when I speak, but I got a bulging disc that's hitting on a nerve. Uh, but it's not going to keep me from uh, being a part of one of the greatest nights of your life and one of the greatest nights in my life. And so I, I want to wrap up our series. If you notice, there's a cross out here, and I want to talk to you tonight uh, about which side of the cross uh, that you are on. And we're going to look at a familiar passage, a great Easter passage, a Good Friday passage, uh, from Luke chapter 23. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, go three-quarters of the way towards the end. Matthew, Mark, Luke, go to the 23rd chapter. We're going to start in verse 32. If you don't have your Bibles with you, don't worry about it. Don't feel guilty. We're going to put it up on the screens. And I'm going to start reading, but let me pray first. God, we just thank you for uh, tonight, and we just thank you for the power of the cross. I just thank you that our lives are to be a reflection of the victory that was won on this cross. Help us figure out which side of the cross that we're on tonight as we talk about two thieves and the conversation that took place and how that conversation that took place over 2,000 years ago is just as relevant for us today, and it begs the question for us today, which side of the cross are we on? I pray that whatever side that we are on, that all of us tonight would choose a nail, would choose a hammer, and come to this cross and make a commitment to Jesus Christ. So, Father, we just give tonight to you, and we pray for the salvation of everyone here. And we pray for those that are going to follow up that decision by getting baptized tonight. And we already celebrate that because we know that there's a celebration in the presence of your angels in heaven, and nobody parties like you. So if you're going to have a party, we're going to have a party. And we just pray for this celebration to begin right now here at the Sanctuary Church at Encounter. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to welcome those of our family online. Uh, hey, Guillermo, I know you're watching. You need to start one of these encounters, just so you know. Anyway, uh, all of our friends in Kentucky and, and, and all over. So let me just pick it up in Luke 20, 23, uh, verse 32. It says this. Two other men, both criminals, also known as thieves, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, also known as Golgotha, they crucified him there along with the criminals. One on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And he was talking about the whole mess and everyone around him because they were dividing up his clothing, it, Scripture says. They divided up his clothes by casting lots. Imagine that. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others. Let him save himself. If, don't miss the dig into Jesus' identity, if, He's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine and vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, making fun of him, mocking him in his identity, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Said, don't you fear God, he said, 
since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. This guy has a a humble acknowledgement of his sinfulness and his destination as well and his predicament that he's in. He goes on to say, but this man has done nothing wrong looking at Jesus. And then he takes his focus off the other thief and he looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today, everybody say today. Today Today you will be with me in paradise. There's no way I can sit down, I'm sorry. I just can't do that. So here you have a thief on the right and a thief on the left with eternity at stake. Eternity is on the line. Now all of us, whether we realize it or not, make choices, as this table is about to fall over, all of us make choices that have eternal ramifications. And my question is, do your choices line up with the thief on the left or the thief on the right? See, both thieves hit a fork in the road. They both hit a fork in the road and reached a crossroad, eternal life-altering decision and choices in their final hours before they breathe their last breath. Two guilty thieves, but each took a side of the cross. And it begs the question for us today, which side of the cross are you on? The first was not willing to come to terms with his sinfulness. The second one said, we are condemned justly. We deserve to be here. The first one said, oh, we're not that bad. The second one said, oh, yeah, we are. We're pretty bad. The second one, you see, it's important for you to understand. Your understanding of sin will determine which side of the cross that you're on. It always determines which side of the cross that you're on. And many of us, and we've been talking about this for weeks, don't understand the issue of sin. See, the issue of sin is never measured against somebody else and what we've done against somebody else, but it's always measured against the holy standard of God. See, on one side of the cross, there was a thief who didn't understand who the man in the middle was. He didn't understand who Jesus was. The second one did. He understood who Jesus was. The first thief, jeering at him, Joining in, said, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us, speaking for the other thief, making fun of him, mocking him, even challenging Jesus in his identity. See, the second thief understood that this was no ordinary man. He understood that the man crucified in the middle, he was the man who had no sin, who was about to become the sins of the world. He understood Jesus to be the sinless sacrifice. He knew he wasn't supposed to be there. See, the first thief didn't know who Jesus was, nor did he want to. And I just want to tell you tonight, it is possible to all be at the same event and not come away with the same message. Thousands are going to attend church on Easter Sunday, but not everyone's going to come out with the same message. Not everyone's going to come out knowing who Jesus is. Even though every church, every Bible-believing church will preach Jesus Christ. To this date, the passion of the Christ 
is one of the highest grossing R-rated films in the history of the movies, grossing more than $612 million. Imagine that. Yet for thousands who have seen it, many still don't know who Jesus is. They didn't come out with the same message. They don't understand that Jesus was beaten for our sins, was beaten for our sins. They don't understand that God became a man to take away the sins of the world. He was crushed. He was bruised. He was crushed for our transgressions. So which side of the cross are you on? See, it's one thing to respect Jesus. It's another thing to know that he is the Son of God. It's one thing to believe that he was a great man. But it's another thing to believe that he was the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Savior of the world, your only hope for redemption, your only hope for eternity, your only hope to live forever. It's one thing to know that. You see, you don't make the cut of heaven from what you believe. Beliefs will never get you there on your own. You make the cut of heaven from responding to what you believe that is true. Just because you have beliefs, that doesn't mean your beliefs are true. Many people have beliefs, doesn't mean it's true. It's important that they're true. Which side of the cross are you on? See, the first one wanted to be delivered from his current condition, from his present predicament, from his current situation. He said, save yourself. Oh, and by the way, my brother over there on the other side, save us all. You get off this cross, you take us with you. You get out, we all get out. Let's just bust this popsicle stand. Let's get out of here. Let's go celebrate. The first thief only saw Jesus as good enough to fix his current situation, but never worthy enough to bow down to. And that's who Jesus is. The second thief understood that the issue was bigger than his problems here on earth. The second thief understood that there was a bigger issue involved than just him hanging on that cross. He knew that there was something bigger than how bad his situation was, being there with him. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom, because he understood there was something beyond his current situation. There was something beyond his present problem. He understood that there was an eternity out there. He didn't, un- he didn't know what that eternity was, but he knew he would have to face it. Which side of the cross are you on? See, most people want Jesus to deliver them from the cross of their present situation instead of picking up their cross and dying daily. Deliver me from this relationship issue. Deliver me from this financial issue, from this work issue, from this addiction issue, from this abuse issue. Deliver me from all these problems, not really understanding that Jesus wants to deliver you from the root of your issues and solve your eternal problems, not your momentary problems that will only last a while. The first thief wanted Jesus just for time. He was just begging for just a little bit more time. The second thief understood that there's no time in eternity. A thousand years is a day, a day is a thousand years to God. God doesn't measure time and space like we do. See, the first one didn't believe in the resurrection. The second one did. And when the second one said, remember me when you come into your kingdom, knowing that all three of them were about to die, he understood 
that the resurrection would have to take place. And that opened up the door to eternity. See, the first one lost sight of eternity. Maybe never even had a vision of eternity because he was so consumed with himself. He was so consumed with his sins. The second one understood that even if I don't get off this cross, I still want to wind up in the right place. Maybe I didn't do anything right up until this point. But I want to wind up in the right place. I know this is not the end. There must be something more. Have you ever prayed that prayer? There must be something more. The first thief joins the crowd and is exactly like them. You know, a parent's worst nightmare is for their child to join the crowd. Sometimes your kids are just a bad friendship away from tanking their lives. And it's our worst fear sometimes that our kids start running with the wrong crowd. And all it takes is for one person to ruin another life. The first thief heard the noise of the crowd, and he joined in, and he participated with the crowd. The second, well, he just went against the tide. He did the unpopular thing. He didn't say what they said. He didn't think what they thought because he had one thing on his mind, and that was where he was going to spend eternity. Maybe it was the first time in his life he thought about eternity, but he was thinking about eternity at this moment in his life. The first thief, well, he made a decision of hate. The second thief, he made a decision of faith. I don't know if you can see it, but which side of the cross are you on? Can you see it tonight? Can you see yourself on one side or the other? See, the second thief said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answers him and says, truly I say to you, today, everyone say that word again, today, you will be with me in paradise. Paradise. The last time he thought about paradise. In those two sentences, your life really could be transformed. Your life could change. Notice the thief didn't have time, like so many, like a few of you, I don't know, homie, I hope, hope a lot of you tonight are going to get baptized. He didn't have time to get baptized. Time's up. He didn't have time to do a bunch of good things in the church. Time's up. He didn't have time to fix the mess he made with other people, make amends, all that stuff. He didn't have time to do any steps, get a chip. Time's up. Could it be that all those things have nothing to do with heaven and inheriting eternity? See, if I had to be baptized to get into heaven, then the thief wouldn't qualify. If I had to keep the Ten Commandments to get into heaven, then the thief wouldn't qualify. He had no time nor the opportunity to do any of those things. You do. He didn't. And there seems to be a lot of confusion these days about what gets us in heaven. And we've been talking about this for weeks, but people think that their good works are going to get them over the finish line. All this thief did was turn and look to Jesus and said, remember me. Will you remember me when you enter into your kingdom? Note what he didn't say. He didn't say, remember us. He wasn't speaking for the other thief. He said, right now, I'm not concerned with what the other guy has to say. I'm asking, will you remember me, not us? Right now, I need a personal Savior. 
Right now, I have a personal need. I got a personal problem that only a personal God can fix, and that's you, Jesus. Remember me, because I've sinned against you. I put myself here, and I'm humbling myself today by acknowledging that to you, that I've blown it, and I need you today. And I've come to grips with the fact that I have offended a holy God. You're holy, and I'm not, and I'm asking that you would remember me. That's what the second thief did. You see, you may have a mother or a father today on the right side of the cross. But if you don't come to Jesus and say, remember me, so that he's your personal savior for yourself, your personal redeemer, I want to just tell you today, mommy and daddy, they can't help you. Your church, they can't help you. Your denomination, they can't help you. The only Baptist God's going to recognize in heaven, John the Baptist. Last time I looked. Although I hope every Baptist, every person from every denomination gets there. Because I don't want anyone to miss heaven. The thief understood. He had nothing to offer God. And he had no human remedy for his need. So let me ask you, are you still thinking that your works are good enough and God's going to change his mind when he sees you? That's good. God's just going to change the rules when he sees you. I just want to tell you, if you could be that good, then Jesus wouldn't have to die. He wouldn't have to die. He could have just waited for you to get better. But that's not what he did. Because he knows us. And he, know, he knows that we need him. You see, the reason he had to die, because he knew that on your best day, your best day wasn't good enough. I wouldn't trust the best 10 minutes of my life to get me into heaven. Never mind the best 10 days of my life. It's only by God's grace that I get to go to heaven. Period. Period. This thief, both of them, they were vile. This thief was a vile, he was a bad dude. But right smack in the middle of his evil and just vile life, he turns to Jesus and just says, remember me. Will you remember me? Yes, I've robbed. Yes, I've killed. But Jesus, remember me. I got a phone call from a friend of mine that is a good friend of another friend of mine in Kentucky. And uh, he used to do prison ministries. I've told this story a long, long time ago. And this guy would go into prisons all the time. He would go and preach Jesus because his life was radically transformed. He's a crazy dude. He's really crazy. And uh, he was radical. I mean, just really crazy. And he was preaching one time. He was on death row preaching. And uh, he was just uh, sharing Jesus, and one of the inmates just walked away. And my friend chased him down in prison. He said, whoa, where are you going? Why are you walking away? Why'd you walk away when I was teaching, when I was preaching? He says, well, you were teaching about grace and, and heaven and forgiveness and the cross. And he says, that's not for me. He says, why not? He says, well, you don't understand. He said, what do I don't understand? That's how, that's how this guy, he's real direct. He says, what do I don't understand? He goes, you don't, you don't really understand. You don't understand I've killed people. He says, killed people? He goes, how many? He goes, why? He goes, 
How many? He goes, six, seven. And my friend said, that's all? That's all? And the guy looked real puzzled and confused. And my friend said, you got a second? He said, I know a guy named Paul. His name used to be Saul. And he killed Christians for a living, maybe thousands. And God stopped him in his tracks one day and said, Paul, why, why are you persecuting me? And God forgave him. And I think if God can forgive Paul for the thousands that he killed, I think he can forgive your, your mere six. And the guy gave his life to Christ right there. And he accepted Jesus Christ. This guy said, Jesus, remember me. You see, there's something in the request. Can you see it? Here's what it is. It's faith. It's faith. The thief asked Jesus to remember him, believing that Jesus would resurrect him and save him and welcome him into his kingdom. He calls Jesus by name, which means Savior. Savior of the world. Could you save me? This is when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. So he believed that Jesus wasn't going to stay dead. You know what that's called? Faith. I don't know what was going on in his mind, what his thought process was, but it was evident that the thief knew that when it was all said and done, Jesus was going somewhere beyond the cross, and he just wanted to be where Jesus was. He just wanted to go where Jesus was going. When you get there, remember me. Take me with you. Not us. Me, Jesus responds. And Jesus said, what? Today. Everybody say, today. You will be with me in paradise. Today. Have you noticed how people are so worried about today? How so many people are consumed. What happens to you when you die today? Some people are so consumed or they have this fear of dying with what happens today. Well, my mom... <laughs> my mom, before she passed away, she retired and moved to Florida to a senior citizen's community, and my Aunt Gilda was there. You've heard me share stories about my Aunt Gilda. God bless her. She's passed away as well, too. Her alias was Thief on, T-O-W, Thief on Wheels. She stole everything everywhere she went. So my Aunt Gilda, if I had a camera that followed him around for a day, I would be a zillionaire because we would have the best reality show ever. And so my Aunt Gilda convinces my mom to go to these funeral presentations uh, where they would hear these presentations from these funeral homes trying to get their business because it's big business in Florida, and they would just go to get the free lunch. So they get a free lunch every day by visiting all these different funeral homes in Florida around the Tampa area, okay? And so that was their, like, scheme, and they did it all the time. And my Aunt Gilda was just crazy. She's just, she's just out of her mind. And uh, she would always have questions for them. And, uh, and, and so, so, so after the guy's done with his presentation, my Aunt Gilda raised her hand one time, and she goes, okay, so I have a, a, a question for you. She's a New Yorker living in Florida. She goes, so I've got this dilemma. She goes, I need to be buried in New York when I die, not Florida. This is my summer home, but I have a problem. I'm afraid to fly, so how are you going to transport me from Florida to New York after I die if I'm afraid to fly? And the guy's like, perplexed. He looks like Steve Harvey when someone says crazy on the family feud. What? You know? And finally the guy said, lady, you'll be dead. It doesn't matter. And I could just imagine being there. But she was so consumed with what happened to her. And just like many of us today, 
today. What happens when I die? And Jesus said, today. Everyone say, today. today. You'll be with me in paradise. You see, the word today reminds us that there is no soul sleep. Heard of that one? There is no purgatory. There's no candle that can be lit hoping that you'll get from one place or another. There's not a prayer that can be prayed for once you breathe your last breath. Today. There's a lot in that word today that I want to continue to unpack, especially when you look at the life of Jesus and you really study what happened on Easter weekend today. See, when Jesus said today, he really meant it. A lot of people think that, oh, wait a minute. When you died on the cross, didn't, you, didn't it take till Sunday before you came back? No, Jesus said today. Today. See, Jesus' body rose on Sunday, but spiritually he never died. Spiritually he was alive. See, the physical body of Jesus died on Friday. But we learned last week that Jesus came to earth as the God-man. And because he became the God-man, Jesus was spiritually alive the second he breathed his last human breath. And Jesus was busy from that second on. The Bible tells us exactly what he was doing. The Bible tells us exactly what he was doing on Saturday and Sunday. You see, on Friday he gave his life for our sins. On Saturday, he took a trip to hell to claim victory over the devil and the demonic world and to let them know that the party is over. If there was ever a day, and there'll never be a day, where there could be a celebration in hell, because hell's a place of torment. But just go with me on this for just a second. If there ever was a day that the enemy thought there was a day that they could celebrate it would be the day after Jesus died on that cross. But then something happened. I don't know what was going on in hell. I don't know what the events were. Maybe there was a party going on. You know, maybe Black Sabbath was playing. You know, maybe Guns N' Roses was playing. You know, maybe ACDC was headlining the whole thing and they're playing Highway to Hell. And maybe some minion just comes in and runs down the hallway and finds Satan and says, hey, boss. Satan says, what? We got a problem. What? Uh, he's risen. Uh, he's come back. By the way, he's here. What? And Jesus shows up and says, your party's over. I've won. You've lost. You're doomed. And I've he- I come here to claim victory. Your time is up. That's what he was doing on Saturday. Now, he didn't do- that's not in the Bible. That's just a made-up story, okay? So just stay with me, okay? On Sunday, Resurrection Day, what is Sunday Resurrection? It's Victory Day. It is death. Where is your sting day? It is the day that as a follower of Christ, we shout for victory. It's our Super Bowl. We just won 10,000 Super Bowls all in one second day. Jesus was busy resurrecting others and proving that he could do what he said he could do. He proved that he was the son of God. He proved that he could defeat death, the grave, come back to life, be resurrected, and so can we. The reason why you want to be on the right side of the cross is because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 
The reason you want to be on the right side of the cross is the blessed assurance, as the old folks in church say, of the guarantee that Jesus makes when he said, today, today, you'll be with me in paradise. There is no discussion with the other thief. Jesus only has something to say to the thief who came to him, who responded to him. To the thief who missed who Jesus was, there was no conversation because there was no connection, repentance, no humility, no acknowledgement of who Jesus was and who he really was. Jesus knew that that thief would live forever too, just eternally separated from him. And that would be his worst nightmare, not what happened to him on, on the cross. So which side of the cross are you on? Are you on the side of the man who only wanted Jesus for his current situation, his earthly deliverance, who did not understand eternal repercussions of everything he does here? Because all life is is preparation for eternity. Or are you on the side of the one who said, I can't fix myself, I can't fix my problems, and I can't fix my sin problem. I can't fix my future, and I'm going to trust in Jesus to be my redeemer. I told Carolyn, we're going to go to New York this, this June for a family wedding, and we're going to go to Peter Luger's Steakhouse. I told her, uh, it's one of the best steakhouses. It's, it's in Brooklyn. Now, one thing about Peter Luger's Steakhouse is that they only take cash. They don't accept credit cards or any other form of payment. And many restaurants like Peter Luger's, uh, there's a sign, I don't know if you've seen this at restaurants, in God we trust, but, in everyone, but everyone else pays cash. Have you ever gone to a place where it said that, in God we trust, everyone else pays cash? In this day and age, people don't like that. Who carries cash on them anymore? Nobody does that. Everyone's got a debit card, a credit card. But I say that because you don't have to like God's payment plan, but it's the only one he accepts. It's the only one he accepts. The only payment plan that God accepts is the payment plan of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the only payment plan he accepts at satisfying his holy demand for sinners like me and you. It's the only one he takes. Bring him your self-righteousness, he ain't going to take that. Bring him your works, bring him your church, your denomination, bring him your baptism certificate. He ain't going to take it. He doesn't accept it. He doesn't take it. The only thing he takes is the death of his son and the certificate that's given to you when you accept what he's done for you on this cross. That's the only payment plan he accepts. To everyone on the ground, watching around the cross, watching these events, they saw two guilty men who deserved to die. But to Jesus, there was one guilty man who, one guilty man who was forgiven, and lived in paradise, and there was another guilty man who was not forgiven, not because of anything that Jesus did or didn't do, but because of what he believed, didn't believe, and how he responded to what he believed or didn't believe. And he knew that that person was still going to live, but live eternally separated from God's love forever and ever. Which side of the cross are you on? I was speaking to my sister earlier, my older sister, and her husband, my brother-in-law, and thank you for praying for my brother-in-law, Michael, uh, who's recovering from a kidney transplant. He's doing a whole lot better these days. Anyone who gets a kidney transplant, 
has one big question and concern. Will their body reject it, or will their body accept it? Anybody who gets any type of transplant, that's always the million-dollar question. Isn't that the question of eternity? Will you accept it, or will you reject it? Will you accept the payment of Jesus Christ for your sin, or will you reject it? One thief accepted it, the other rejected it. Which side of the cross are you on tonight? Some of you are thinking, now hold on a minute, because I'm really a sincere person. I just want to tell you, it is possible to be sincerely right and to be sincerely wrong. It is possible that I'm going to break out in a Billy Joel song right now. You may be right, you may be wrong, but I'm not. Because sincerity doesn't get you into God's heaven. Being sincere doesn't solve the problem when there's a standard at work. I had a guy that worked for me. When I, one of my first jobs, I had a guy that worked for me in New York City, and he, was, he, he would come to work late every single day. And I told this guy to fix that. Get to work on time. Otherwise, he'd get fired. And I told him that the standard, the minimum standard, was for you to get to work on time. That was it. And here's, here's what he sincerely said, and he meant it. And he meant it. He said, well, you know, I don't know what the problem is. You know, I leave my house on time every day. I don't understand why I get to work late every day. I just don't understand. I'm leaving my house on time. Well, he was sincere, but it didn't help him keep his job. And he really was sincere. See, God's standard is himself. And he can never, ever lower that standard. Which is why you need to come to Christ. Which is why the only standard acceptable, which is why this is the only standard what Jesus did for you is acceptable to God. Which side of the cross are you on? For some, you've reached a fork. A fork. F-A-W-K. A fork in the road. You know, when I start talking about New York, this whole New York accent comes out. I'm really sorry. Uh, it's unbelievable, you know. It's like watching Dick Vitale on you know, basketball. For some of you, you reached a fork in the road. For most of you have come to Christ. Many of you, you've had an encounter at the cross. But some of you are mixing this cross with a lesser thing. See, one of the thieves knew that his only, that he knew that Jesus was his only option. You see, until you discover that Jesus is your only option, you will seek lesser means to be made right with a holy God. Here's what Jeremiah 6.16 says. It says, stand at the crossroads and look. X for the ancient path. X where the good way is. And walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But like the first thief, you said, we will not walk in it. It's one of the saddest scriptures in the Bible. There's a great story that I heard the other day uh, from Tony Evans. And he said in 1929, George Wilson killed a mailman and received the death penalty. He received a presidential pardon. But to the shock of the Oval Office, he rejected the pardon. The president had set him free, but the whole case went to the Supreme Court, and the issue was this. 
If the President of the United States gives you a pardon, are you pardoned? In other words, can you reject a pardon by a sovereign? Hmm. Chief Justice Marshall of the Supreme Court rendered his decision, and here's his words. He wrote this, a pardon rejected is no pardon at all. Unless the recipient of the pardon accepts the pardon, then the pardon cannot be applied. Not because it was not truly offered, but a pardon has two sides, the offerer and the offeree. Unless the offeree accepts the offer from the offerer, then the pardon cannot be mandated. See, on the cross, the everlasting, the one who never changes, the ancient of days, eternal God, having been satisfied by the death of his son, has offered every man, every child, every person, irrespective of background, irrespective of where we come from, what we've done, what we believe, what we don't believe, that every man would be offered, every person would be offered a pardon. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. But in order for the pardon to be effective, it must be accepted. There has to be a response. So which side of the cross are you on? Are you on the side that will come to Jesus Christ? Because you only have two choices. To receive from Christ the forgiveness he offers. And says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I'm guilty. You're the innocent one. I'm the guilty one. I accept your death as a sacrifice for my sins. I choose you to take my place to stand before my Father in heaven, to justify me because I can't justify myself. And I place my eternal destiny in your hands. Or simply do what you've done, like so many of us, including me, have done for years. I'll just do it my way. Matthew 7, 13 to 14 says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell, not a song, but it is broad, and its gate is wide for many who choose the way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult. And only a few, only a few ever find it. So tonight I'm asking you, which side of the cross are you on? Now for those who have made the decision and you are on the right side of the cross, my, here's my question for you. This is what I got convicted on earlier today as well. How deep does the love you have in response to what Jesus has done for you on this cross go? How deep is your love? How is your life a reflection of the victory won on this cross? Having canceled the written code that stood against to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And he makes an open display of the ineffectiveness of the enemy's best plan against our lives. How grateful does God know you are for the price he has paid for your eternity? How grateful are you? See, if you belong to Christ today, no matter how messed up your life is, 
This is the only hell you will ever have. If you're here today and say, my life is a living hell, then praise God. Because it's the only hell you'll ever know. There is an eternal destiny that's waiting for you. Paradise is going to blow your mind. It's going to blow your mind. No eye has seen, no ear has heard the things that God has prepared for us. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, enjoy every minute because it may be the only heaven you'll ever know. Now, you'll get to see heaven because every knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, but you may not stay in heaven. Hebrews 3, 12 through 15 says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. How many people know that God's still alive today? But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called what? Today. Everyone say today. today. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end, as has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Which side of the cross are you on? My wife, Carolyn, whom I love dearly, sent me this earlier this week from an article she read. And she said, we're saved by grace by believing and agreeing that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But we need to believe in the resurrection of Jesus to be empowered by grace. It's so much more, life is, than just believing that Jesus died on the cross. It's knowing the power of a new birth, the resurrection power, being raised into newness of life, empowered by the Holy Spirit to break the chains of sin that made us act like the old life we crucified. So we can be empowered by the Holy Spirit so that our transformation becomes a new, changed life. So what are you going to do today? What side of the cross are you on? I want to tell you what side of the cross I'm on tonight and where I find myself. I'm on both sides of the cross. I'd love to say that I'm always on the right side of the cross. But I need to come to the cross every day. And I'm coming to the cross again tonight because while I'd like to pride myself in what the thief said when he said, remember me, Jesus, I find myself thinking and doing some of the things that the other thief did. I find myself consumed about my current situation a lot instead of thinking about eternity. I find myself getting judgmental sometimes and prideful at times. And I find myself in situations where I need God's grace just as much as anybody else. And I find myself where God reminds me, you're no better than any single person you will ever encounter. And you're, no, and you're nothing but you're something in my eyes. And you're the person I love. 
and you're the person I've forgiven, not because of anything you've done, but because of what I've done for you. And so why I'm coming to the cross tonight and why I have a nail and why I have a car, that I'm going to take a hammer and I'm going to take this car and I'm going to take this nail and I'm, going to, I'm just going to take it, I'm going to come and I'm just going to put it right here And I'm going to nail my sins, my pride, my brokenness, my pain, my worries to the cross. I'm not doing it to get saved again. I'm doing it to remind me of what happened when I did get saved and why I need to die daily so Jesus Christ can be resurrected in me so that people can see Christ in me. Now, when I came to the cross for the first time, I followed that up immediately by getting into a pool and getting baptized. And so, as soon as we start worshiping, I want you to immediately, I don't want you to wait, I don't want you to think, because the cross is for everyone tonight. God so loved the world that whoever would believe in him would not perish. The question is, which side of the cross are you on? But no matter which side of the cross that you're on tonight, it doesn't matter. You can come to the cross and experience life. You can come to the cross and experience forgiveness. You can come to the cross and know that today, everybody say today, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, if you come publicly to a, a public cross, where Jesus died publicly, you should get baptized publicly as a declaration of your acknowledgement because Jesus said, if you acknowledge me publicly before people, I will acknowledge you publicly before my Father in heaven. Baptism, as we learned tonight, doesn't save you. Faith in Christ, repentance from you, Forgiveness from your sins, repenting from your sins, turning to Christ saves you. Faith in Christ does, not our works. But baptism is, it's not a, the question is, why should I get, that's, why should I get baptized? The better question is, why shouldn't I, what would keep you from getting baptized? There is no good reason to keep you from getting baptized. And I'm going to be waiting in the pool. And we have some families, we have some courageous people that are going to meet me in that pool. And I want to encourage you to come to the cross. You, each of you should have a blue card right now. You may want to write on that card what your sins are, how you've fallen short, or what you want to surrender today, what you want to recommit today. Because if you're bringing anything else other than what Jesus did for you, God doesn't take that payment. What you, whatever you nail, you're nailing in exchange as a receipt for the payment that Jesus Christ paid for you. Pray this prayer of commitment or recommitment to Christ with me. Father, up until tonight, 
I don't know which side of the cross I've been on. Either way, I've fallen short. And I repent and confess my sins to you and turn from those sins and turn to you and trust in you, Jesus, for what you did on this cross for me. And I'm asking you to be my personal redeemer and savior, forgiver, and lover of my soul. Thank you for taking my sins, becoming my sins, dying to my sins, so that I can be free from my sins. I receive all that you have for me. And I say tonight, will you remember me? Will you be there for me? At the finish line. And I accept you as my Lord and Savior. And I thank you for forgiving me and filling me with your Holy Spirit. And making sure that I get to the finish line. And receive everything you have for me for an eternal lifetime. In Jesus' name, amen. You start coming. Everyone, come to the cross.